I'm Mark Gandy for Sailville Bookshelf. In 2016 or 17, I met a consultant at Strategic Coach in Chicago, Illinois, and I had never heard of the type of consulting she does. Denise Cuprionis provides consulting to directors of public company boards, and she helps them get from good to great and to meet their most pressing objectives. Denise is the founder of the Governance Solutions Group based in Cincinnati. And since I have a very limited experience in the public company world, I'm curious what such a board member does. And that is our topic on this edition of CFO Bookshelf. My guest is Denise Cuprionis. She is the founder of the Governance Solutions Group, where she advises mainly directors of public companies. And as I stated up front, I did not know this consulting work even existed. And after interviewing Denise, I'm as fascinated now with her work than I was before. And I wanted to know for my first question, where in the world did she get this idea for her business? Well, I would go back to, I started my career at a, a mid-cap um, media company. It was, uh, we were publicly uh, traded, but family controlled. And that's where I got my first introduction to the board of directors. So uh, one of my positions was corporate secretary. And that's a position where you uh, attend and participate in the board meetings and you get all the preparation done. And when I started that, this, is, this goes back, um, I'll date myself but uh, pre-Enron, and you talked about um, the boards of directors, and there wasn't much excitement about it. We really didn't talk about board governance. Nobody really knew what that was, and in those days, um, it truly was, you know, um, I put my friends on my board, and, you know, somebody would say, hey, I'm sitting on your comp committee. Why don't you come over here and sit on my board? I mean, that's, and we didn't think about it. We didn't think about independence and how boards work, but then a lot of things happened. Um, I would say Enron was kind of one of the first things. And that, again, is is dating myself. I mentioned that to a university I was teaching at a class. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, these kids don't even know what Enron is. But anyway, that was kind of the beginning of um, uh, boards starting to think about, you know, how do we do our job? And uh, as uh, when I was at uh, at this media company, uh, we we're getting ready to do a spin and create two different companies, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd been there for quite a while. I'm a lawyer by background, started the legal department, did ethics compliance and did this board governance stuff. You know, I thought, you know what, I've been doing this long enough and it was fun. I loved my job. I loved the company, but um, I think this board governance is really going to pick up. So I just decided to start um, a consulting practice. And there are, there are a lot of folks, there are probably more today than there were then, um, actually doing this work. So that's, it, it's not that unusual. My, um, the kind of back to, to why I wanted to do it. I, I really believe that board governance, if I can help your board be, um, more effective, what that does is it helps the CEO, um, be better at his or her job. 
And if they're better at their job, that really helps those folks that are reporting to them and on down the line. And bottom line, if you're a public company, it makes the company better. It is better for your shareholders. If you're a nonprofit, it helps the um, the organization better carry out its mission. So I really believe it does start at the top and helping your board of directors be better is, um, you know, it really helps the company. Real quickly, do you find organizations or do organizations find you? How does that work on finding clients? Um, I would say at this, we're going to, people find me. Um, so when I started this, I had no idea how, how do you start a company? And then, you know, somebody told me, oh, you know, about getting clients. Well, how do you do that? And then I learned, uh, you know, you have to send them a bill if you want to get paid. You know, how do you do that? I didn't have to do any of that stuff in my old job. But um, I have been involved in uh, board and governance, board governance organizations um, for most of my career at the media company. And so when I started this practice, I knew people. And, you know, I was active, involved in uh, in these organizations. I would give advice uh, freely. I would try to speak. One of the best pieces of advice that someone gave me was um, make sure you write and you present and you do things because then they'll come to you. And I think that's what's happened. I've really, I've never done any, um, I've done some things like this, but I've never done any real marketing or anything like that. Um, you know, I like to, I love to talk about this. Um uh, about board governance and how boards work. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I, I do that and I share, uh, I share thoughts and I am happy to bounce ideas around with people. And I think that just kind of gets out there and, um, you know, people will call me and we'll chat and, you know, sometimes it's like they don't give me a call for a year <laughs> and then they do because they remember that, you know, I shared some advice with them when they just wanted to bounce ideas around. 10 years ago versus today. Is it about the same or can you tell, hey, there there is a big difference between now and when I started? I would say one of the biggest differences. Um, so uh, probably uh, 90, 80 percent of my work is uh, focused on help on doing facilitating um, either kind of a board governance review. You know, how is the board doing its job? or more often is the um, the annual board performance review. So when this started, so this is, I'd go back, um, boy, I don't know, maybe in the early 90s, when the New York Stock Exchange said to uh, publicly traded companies, companies traded at the, uh, on the exchange, you're going to start doing the, uh, you're going to annually review your performance. Not only are you going to do it, you're going to sign off and say that you did it. And everybody, uh, and I, I, everybody might be too strong, but probably not much, because I can tell you that what happened is um, you looked in the boardroom and everybody went, we don't need to do this. What the heck are they talking about? We're all smart people. And they, and originally when the board evaluation started and they were required, um, honestly, I this is, is what happened. They'd look and they'd say, Mark, how are we doing? Doing great. Susie, how are we doing? Doing great. Okay, board performance done. Check, we did it. Um, but as and then as as they started using this tool, um, they realized, you know what? Hey, maybe we could do this a little more. If we have to do it, maybe we could do it more meaningfully. And then while the NASDAQ does not require companies to do it, they strongly encourage it. 
And every company, the companies that I work with, this is a very, very valuable tool, whether you're publicly traded, whether you're private, or whether you're a volunteer or a nonprofit organization or a membership organization. This is about helping your board be better. I like to use the term kind of getting better at at getting better. And what on these, um, uh, the uh, board governance, uh, doing these reviews, when you think about it, there's every, almost every job you've ever had, somebody was giving you a review at some point and saying, hey, Mark, this is how I do. This, this is what you're doing. I think it would be better if you did this or this would really help your career. And that goes all the way up the line. Your CEOs at your largest public company, their still performance is getting reviewed. The board of directors is reviewing that. So what happens when you get on a board all of a sudden? We don't get reviewed anymore. So there's, uh, and there's a lot of ways and we can get into it if you want to, of how to do this performance review. But I think it's really become more of a, um, um, something that, that is good to do and meaningful to do. And we're going to get something out of it. It's a big change. I, I am curious on the performance review. Is it something that you have built from the ground up based on all of your unique experiences or are there industry templates of here's a form to determine an assessment? Have Do you create it or you borrowed someone else's? Well, so I would say there's not one. If you're thinking of a um, of an assessment tool where here's the questions I'm going to ask you. Right. And we, we always do that. You know, there's a whole lot of those things out there. Um, you know, do I, I've created one. I mean, I did have a, um, well, I, I've created my own um, questions, but I, the I think the better way to look at it is, um, you know, what are the, the, what are the major steps in doing the performance? And, you know, there's, it's the, you know, the first one is you really got to figure out, um, you know, what's the, you know, what's the focus here? You know, are we going to, are we really looking at kind of how the board does its work? Um you know, what's the, uh, are we looking at focusing on one thing? Like we think our committee committee framework is all messed up. We really want to focus this one on here. So first you got to really set the stage for um, uh, what the purpose is. And you got to make sure that, you know, that, that, that everybody's online mapping the structure. And then it's about figuring out what tools are we going to use? Are we going to use a survey? Are we going to use individual conversations? Are we going to bring in an outside person like me to facilitate this? And you don't have to. I mean, we can talk about that. You can, you know, you can do it, um, you know, in-house too, um, which I think is good some years. Um, so, you know, what tools, so you kind of map your structure, you figure out, you know, what tools are we going to do? And then you have to prepare these tools. So if it's a survey, what questions are we going to ask? If it's a, if it's interviews, I use a tool with a discussion guide that we um, prep with ahead of that time. And then it's about um, collecting that data. And then and these things are best done when they're anonymous. And then it's collecting this data and um, and analyzing it. And then you're looking for when you're analyzing it, you're looking for these themes. You know, what is it that's um, what am I hearing constantly? And, you know, what is that? And then it's then you have the most I sometimes struggle. The next step is the most important one or the one after that. But then you come back. I go into the boardroom and facilitate a conversation about what I heard. And I will give them feedback and we'll, uh, they'll say, yeah, that does really ring true. And, you know, we have a really good conversation. 
And then out of that conversation, uh, I encourage the board to come up with what are their two or three goals. Now, these are not operation goals. Remember, the board is different. These are operation goals. And so we want to have what are the board goals? And we want to make sure that we set that uh, set that down. And then, of course, you you know, follow up through the year and making sure you're doing it or even your next board performance. If you have an independent facilitator that year, your next year, you may just have your board chair do some conversations. And the conversation may center around, did we do what we said we were going to do last year? So there are a lot of different ways to do uh, the performance review. Um, but it's really about gathering data and um, having a conversation. One of the um, oftentimes the boards that call me, uh, they're really doing a pretty good job. Um, you know, I'd really like to get uh, I have not had, but I would be awful fun to have one of those boards that you read about on the front page of The Wall Street Journal call me. Right. Because uh, that would really be really be fun. Yes. But most of the boards call and, you know, they're really doing an OK job. And I will tell you, without a, with without exception, there are some boards I'll start to talk. We'll go through the processes. We'll we'll talk with them. I'm thinking, gosh, this board is really good. They're doing everything that I think they should do. But, you know, they're paying me this money to come in and help them. What am I going to tell them? But then you start doing these interviews. And every time, if I think, as I just said, something comes to light and all of a sudden you're hearing it from every board member or most board members. And there are some things that come up that really should be at the top of their agenda to discuss. And that's where we have those meaningful conversations. I work generally with smaller businesses, $75 million or mm-hmm. under the, the concept of corporate governance, even in the small business world fascinates me uh, by the way. And as a, former attorney or attorney background, legal background. And I'm smiling as I say this, everyone has corporate governance. Sometimes it's just really terrible <laughs> or so, right. it, but I'm still, I still don't have a good definition of corporate governance. I mean, I can look, I can get a textbook I, and, and I can, I can find references. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. But I don't like it. I want to hear from you, the expert. What is your favorite, most accessible definition of corporate governance? So, well, first, I like to think of it in terms of the bo- of board governance, which I think is a little different than corporate governance. Okay, okay. But um, for board governance, I think one of the the best um, the way I like to describe it is it's really about how the board does its job. It's really about the processes that the board does to help the board do its job. So it's about um, having good processes that help the board make better decisions. Um, So maybe if I were to restate that, it would be, it's more about the, um, the processes that the board uses to help it make good decisions. Um, I think that's kind of the easiest um, way to look at it. And the I wish there were there is not one uh, right way to do board governance. It's not I can't say, oh, here, this is, you know, you're this size company, put this on and this will work for you. 
it's there are a lot of best practices involved in board governance. Uh, when we talk about these processes that people use, that boards use. But just because I, I really, um, I don't like using the term best practice, best, because it it might not be the best practice for you. And there's, there is not one, uh, again, one right way to do it. There are wrong ways, but I don't think there's one right way. Now, if you're a publicly traded company, there are certain things that you have to do. How many independent folks are going to be on the board or, you know, or there are certain things you just that, that you have to do. But there is a lot of leeway, even on a public company board, of how you do your work. And so there are best practices and there are ways that people have suggested to do it. And I like to look at that. And bring that into the boardroom and say, okay, now how will this work for us like this? Or how can we make this fit our board culture? Because every board's going to be a little bit different. When you're talking about private companies and um, the nonprofit organizations, they have more leeway than the public companies. So it's really fun to get in there and help them make sure they have the right board governance structure that really works for them. Since I brought it up, do you mind delineating between then board governance and corporate governance? It may seem, I may be naive on my part, but could you give the difference between the two? I guess, um, I don't know that I've been asked that question before, but I think the, I think the reason, I think as I look at it, when I think of corporate governance, I'm thinking about, um, the governance of the whole organization. So I define governance as the processes that you use to help the board make best decisions. So if I'm thinking of corporate governance, I'm thinking about how does the management committee, how does the leadership team, how are we making decisions? When I'm thinking about board governance, I'm talking more specifically about how the board does its job. We may be the first place where we've ever have looked at the the two differences and we can get this <laughs> document. Thank you very much. Uh, you're going to hear me compliment you maybe more than once, but again, the, the tools and the questions on your website, and you have to do a little poking around, but you'll find them. And there, there are just a boatload of PDF documents. Uh, they're in the form of tools. They're in the form of questions. And we cannot go through every question, <laughs> but I, I, th- I have a, just a couple. And because of lack of time, we may not be able to hit both of them. But, but here's one that I really, really like. Did the, and by the way, this is dated 2013, but even though that's a long time, that's 10 years ago, this yeah. is still an applicable question today. And it's going to be an applicable question 50 years from now. Yeah. Uh, did the board relook at its emergency CEO succession plan and review, in quotes, in progress, natural retirement succession planning? That is a great question. Is it effective with every board you've gone into to work with? Every, I mean, I would think, I think that, and I, there's a lot of folks that would agree with me on this, that the most important job the board has is one to find the right CEO, right? You've got to have, because keep in mind, the board's job is to um, to oversee, to make sure things are getting done. We can talk about that. It's the CEO and his or her um, leadership team. They're the ones that are doing, but the board must have 
make sure they get the right CEO. And then once they get that CEO in, they have to make sure that they're compensating correctly, that they're, um, there's a partnership in figuring out what the right metrics are, that they're monitoring, and that they're communicating and talking. Part of the board's job, the very first thing I said was to make sure they have that right CEO in place. And I would argue that uh, when you have a new CEO stepping in on day two, the board should be starting to think about succession planning. Now, what happens too often is the board doesn't want to talk about succession planning because then they're afraid that if you're the CEO, Mark, if the board, if your board's talking about, well, gosh, he'll think we don't like him or that we want to get rid of him. So right. the board doesn't want to talk about right. it. And the CEO doesn't want to talk about it because then they think that the board's going to think that they want to leave or they're not happy. So I think the earlier you talk about it, the better, you know, people, you understand right away. And the CEO has a job to make sure, you know, something could happen. You know, a lot of people use, so you got to make sure you have the right person in place. And a lot of people talk about having that. Um, this, there's a couple of ways succession planning. So one is the emergency plan. Some people use the, you know, run over by the beer truck example. I like to use the, if they win the lottery and, you know, they're out, <laughs> they decided to do something else. So something could happen there, but there could be illness. There could be death. So let's, you know, so you got to have that emergency plan in place always. And then you have to have um, an, the kind of the non-emergency, the natural retire or the natural plan. So when it, you know, we're getting close to retirement or they told you when they came in, they were only going to be there 10 years or their goal is to retire at 60 or whatever that is, you have to be talking about that. And then the third succession plan, and it's, um, it's kind of combined in there, but it's something that the board should talk about periodically is, you know, what if you had this major catastrophe, you know, all of a sudden the CEO did something really stupid, you know, um, that is an emergency plan, but I think it, it thinking that through so you're not caught off guard is, is a good thing. Did that answer your question? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it, it's excellent. And by the way, that question, that last one, th that's come up more than once in some of your PDF documents. This leads to another question. Now, I'm being a little sneaky because it's almost like two questions in one. But let me read the question. Uh, did the board engaged in any activities that allowed it to have a window into the company's executive ranks. Mm. Now, that's the question, but my sidebar question is, how does the board do that without getting into the weeds, without getting to the work of the CEO? Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to hear that, but, but go ahead, Denise. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I am a big proponent of um, it's the CEO's job to run his or her business. And these folks report to the CEO. We don't, we want to make that always clear. They do not report to the board, but the, um, but the CEO, we just talked about the succession planning and you just brought up and, and, and something that I wrote, they have to make sure that, um, the succession planning is in place. So a couple of things in order to do that, they need to know who's kind of next up, you know, who's reporting to that, that CEO. So there's a couple of ways to do that. One is that the board, um, 
the CEO, the board is encouraging the CEO to bring different folks into the boardroom. And there's usually for most um, board meetings, there's kind of a core group of people that the CEO brings in in with them, you know, your CFO, maybe, maybe the, almost always the CFO, I would say, um, you know, maybe your general counsel, maybe your HR, per, you know, there's a, usually depending on what business you're in, um, there's a couple of folks that the board's going to bring. So the board gets to see those people and know who they are. The board has a responsibility, obviously, for the CEO succession planning, but that means that they need to ensure and ask the CEO to make sure he or she is doing succession planning for underneath them and that each of the department heads is doing that. And they need to kind of know who those people are. Again, um, you're, you're bringing in that core group to the board meeting. And I think it's helpful for those folks to occasionally bring in other people to the board meeting. And then another thing that um, that boards do they, they may have a dinner the night before or a reception and invite um, a few more people to do that. There's also a lot of other um, little tricks. Uh, you know, a question I get a lot is, you know, can the board call my my general counsel or my CFO without telling me? And, you know, and we, we could we could talk about that. But the. Um, if there's, you know, sometimes the uh, a board a board will say, you know, we really want to get to know some of these people people a little more, um, not just in the boardroom. So they'll talk to the CEO and they'll say, you know, we're going to kind of I'm going to come in a day early, and the board members rotate, and they're going to have breakfast with the CFO, one with the CFO, one with someone else, just periodically to kind of get to know each other. But it's not something hidden in the dark alleys that the CEO doesn't know you're doing. Um, you know, it's it we're open about it, and and they're getting getting to know who that next line is. Again, I'm getting a lot of these questions from your own documentation. There's a term that you use. I love it. Uh, use the term tone at the top. Uh, we could also say culture, but I'm going to use tone at the top. My question on that is how does the board best, best monitor the tone at the top? And I don't care, Denise, before we hit record, we were talking about Enron, or mm-hmm. not Enron, but but uh, uh, Theranos. Theranos. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how can a board, again, without getting into the details, how do they monitor tone at the top? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. And, um, and because the board is only there, you know, once a quarter or whatever, it, it, it's a hard question. But there are a lot of ways they can do that. So one is or it, one is the things we just talked about. Right. It's just it's the having different people come into the board meeting. It's having lunch with them during the, you know, when you take a break at the board meeting and you're, you're you'd be amazed at the um, things people say um, at the at the board dinner. But and you can kind of pick that up. And, you know, the some of these, um, you know, having breakfast or um, or with with someone before uh, the meeting is helpful. And I also encourage directors. It's not just about. It, you you go to the board meetings and oftentimes you're sitting in this boardroom and you fly in and you fly out, but you have to, while you're there, I, well, two things. So one, while you're there, walk around a little bit. Yes. Sometimes you can just hear the water cooler right. conversation, but just kind of take the long route to the restroom or something, you know, and kind of just watch and look. The other thing is, if particularly if it's a comp, if it's a larger company and you have a couple of different offices, um, you know maybe you're a, you're a retail whatever it is, don't always have the board meetings in that boardroom. 
Go somewhere else for those board meetings. Go and take tours of places. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get, are, are they perfect ways? No, but they are ways for the board to get a sense of what's going on besides just hearing the CEO talk. One other idea, I, I do not work on any public company boards, but for some of the private companies, especially in the ESOP world, I do attend the monthly, uh, that we call them financial huddles. They usually last one hour and we may have upwards to 150 people on the Zoom call or the uh, the team's call. That is another fascinating way if there are events like that. Obviously, we did those every week. I couldn't do it. But to me, that's another way of just yeah. getting the vibe of mm-hmm. the organization. But again, this is great feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, right. we, we've already talked about your website. Uh, again, I just want to applaud you. Keep writing. Do not ever quit writing. Your questions, and I still, my goal is at some point to read every PDF document because there's some really good stuff in one of your documents. I don't know if this is a blog post or kind of like a white paper that you may be shared with a group, but you talked about good to great boards and there are three pillars, foundational, advanced, strategic. In your words, what is a good to great board? Well, I think sometimes particularly, um, um, particularly with maybe starting out with, I, I can't think of a public company that I've actually started out with their board, but I have uh, at, on a private company. And you kind of start out, I'd say you start out good. You know, we all have the right idea. You know, we've got the CEO and, uh, or maybe that's foundational. And then you move into, okay, we're really getting into our rhythm now. This is a good board and a great board. I used to show, um, uh, a, a slide, uh, a, a really great board is always getting better. And it's about continuing to learn. And directors are educated at um, at every meeting they go to. But there are more ways to be educated. It should not stop at just the material that you receive, you receive to prepare for the board meeting. You know, there are, you know, outside conferences. There are outside things you can read. Your CEO can send you stuff. You need industry reports. There's a lot of different ways for the board to get educated. And they have to continue to get educated. And I use this little... Um, I say good boards, you know, if you, if you if you think of having a good board and I had a straight line <laughs> and then like kind of step ups for, you know, every time you do something extra, really getting to great. And that's great unless you're doing it at a healthcare industry and you got a flat line. Oh, they didn't like that too much. <laughs> I haven't used it. But most of the time it's about, I said, most boards, I believe, um, they want to do the right thing and they um, and they are preparing, but it's how do we get to be a better board? And that means pressing the pause button periodically and saying, how do we do our job? And it's a it's a reminder. One of the best documents that um, I encourage every board to have um, private, nonprofit, um, public. It's your your governance guidelines. And this, these are, this is a document that explains what's the board's responsibility, what are individual director responsibilities, and how do we go about doing our job. And you want to review this document on an annual basis. One, there could be changes, but doubtful that it's going to change uh, from year to year. But what it does is remind you 
of your responsibilities um, as a board member. And um, particularly, at, um, I would say sometimes um, at um, sometimes at private companies and sometimes at nonprofits, they tend to think, well, you know, maybe we're not getting paid, particularly at nonprofits. So maybe we don't really have any fiduciary responsibilities, but you do. If you're sitting on that board, you have a fiduciary responsibility. And I think it's helpful to periodically remind you, and a good way to do that is through these governance guidelines without throwing it into your face. You know, it's just, um, it's important to, again, press that pause button and uh, think about how we do our job and to do uh, the review of uh, the board's performance. I hope I'm not distracting you. I've been taking some notes. I've even have written down a couple of minutes ago, goals and objectives for the board. And I think that falls under good to great. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to get to great, are we achieving the goals and objectives that we set out a year? I, I, I just think that is so insightful. You also talked about board of advisors. And so we're talking private companies. Mm-hmm. Now, this is my opinion and I'm mm-hmm. biased. Again, I work with a lot of yeah. organizations, 75 million and under. I just think, Working with the private companies, boards of advisors, I would just think what a charge that could be, how much fun. Is that, do you find working with these BOAs fun, invigorating? Yeah, I love um, helping to put boards of advisors together. And I I have, uh, just the other day, I was talking to a private company owner and going, you know, people say, why do I need this? You know, I don't need somebody telling me what to do. I don't need this board of advisors, right? What the, what's the deal? I know what I'm doing. And, you know, I think if you have the opportunity to get a group of people in the room and, you know, for the most boards of advisors, we're talking maybe four, right? You know, maybe five. And if if you can gets if you can have the opportunity to bounce some ideas off of them in a um in this private space and gain some wisdom from them why wouldn't you do it you know the people sometimes will say well you know I have a really great relationship with all my employees and they'll tell me if they don't like my idea well you know you might have a really great relationship with your employees but you also sign their paycheck and are they really going to tell you everything uh, you know, I have my doubts about that a little bit. If they're going to, it's not, and it's not that they're not being honest, but sometimes it's a little hard to tell the person that's signing your paycheck that maybe we need to go in a different direction. Um, I think having a board of advisors, every single private company should have one, particularly if you're not using a fiduciary board, you should have this board of advisors. And it's really important to figure out who's going to be on there. The first mistake that people make when they do the board of advisors is they'll say, oh, I want Jim Smith on my board. Well, let's not talk names first. Let's figure out what's going to really help you. You know, what are the things, you know, when you think of your strategic vision and where you're going and what expertise you really have in-house, let's think about what skills would really be helpful in your in this board of advisors. I mean, this is an opportunity to, like I said, bounce ideas around with people in a very comfortable setting. Um, and it's but it takes a lot of work to 
make sure you have one, the right people on your board of advisors that you know how to put this agenda together and that you kind of get it started so that it doesn't just become, um, uh, you know, so that it's not important. It has to be one board members, board of advisors members aren't going to do it if it's, if they don't, don't feel, most of them do this because they want to give back and they want to help because they're not getting paid very much money for this. This is minimal. It's important to pay them, but it's usually minimal. So they want to make sure that they're making a contribution. So there's a lot of hints about uh, like that, I think, about um, creating a good board of advisors. This is a little bit of a sidebar. One of the first 10 to 15 business books I read, Sandra Kurtzig, she created Ask, Ask Software. It is the first MRP system ever, and it ran on the HP, uh, I, I don't know, technology, uh, their legacy uh, yeah. systems. But Sandra Kurtzig, she she has a book called CEO, The Making of a $400 million Company. It's one of my all-time favorite books. And in that book, as she's getting started, she created a advisory board. Now, it was informal. One of her first advisory board members, Bill Hewlett, as in mm-hmm. the oh. Bill Hewlett. And <laughs> yeah. I, as I look back and have studied that book, I'm thinking, where would she, where would she be without some of those advisory members? And and they did. It wasn't just once a quarter. It was like, I need to talk. I need your advice. And I always go back to that book. Boy, if she did it, why can't you? As she knew what she was doing. Yeah. But sorry, yeah. sorry for getting off track there. No, I, it's there's you know you talk about an informal board of advisors, and I like to think that there's kind of the four stages. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about a board of advisors, the first stage is you know what you might call a kitchen table board. Yes, and most founders, you know, whether it's sitting at the coffee table, um, you know, before you go off to work, talking to your spouse and tossing ideas around or whether it's calling, you know, your, your best friend, because they know a lot about HR stuff and you're having this HR issue. So you kind of have this informal board of advisors. And then the next stage is deciding that, you know what, we're going to have a formal board of advisors. And this is where you get to the things I mentioned just earlier about, we're going to think really strategically about who we're going to invite to be on the board of advisors. We're going to be well prepared for board meetings. We're going to schedule board meetings in advance. We're going to pay. This is when you have your formal board of advisors. And then the, um, the next stage would be the final stage is when you decide to have um, you bring an independent person onto your board of uh, into onto your fiduciary board. And that's a really big step for a lot of private companies, bringing that independent person on their fiduciary board. So oftentimes I think there's this middle step. So this third step where you're kind of acting um, like a fiduciary board, but you're not really taking action. And remember, that's the big difference between an advisory board and a fiduciary board. Advisory board gives advice. A fiduciary board can take action. 
And so um, there's, like I said, I think there's these, these stages of um, of advisory boards, and ultimately it's about putting somebody independent on your on your fiduciary board. But that's a really big deal. So I think a lot of folks that are just getting started, um, they need they need to start informal and then have this uh, kind of a, then go from informal to the um, informal or to the formal board of advisors. Let's pretend like you're doing a TEDx event in the great, beautiful city of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, which is home. Let's mm-hmm. say you're doing a just a short TEDx, really geared for CEOs. Just real quickly, what will be just a couple of bullet points on why they need to be very purposeful in trying to select those very best board members? I'm going to pick because you, I'm going to pick private companies because you talked about the CEO doing the pick. And if we were talking a public company, there would be a nominating committee, right. and we would would do that. But it, but 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 basically, it's the uh, it's basically the same thing. It's just a little bit different. I think in picking the right board member is is really important. Um, and you, it's important to look at you know what's our strategy, what's our strategic plan, you know where are we going. You have to know that before you can decide what are the right people that we need on the board. But well, actually, there's one more step. So you first you have to think about where we're going, and then you think have to think of the skills. If you're a private company, it might be we don't really have, we're, maybe we're thinking about going international. We don't have a lot of that expertise in our company right now because we're not there. So it'd be really good to have somebody on your board that does have that experience, right? That's why it's so important to think about. Um, uh, who's on the board? Board seats. Um, somebody. Uh, this was applying it to public companies, but it's. Uh, I think it's a, a applicable. Board seats. They're very um, uh, expensive property, so to speak, right? And then there's a limited number of seats, and you want to be careful. Uh, a size of board is a really important topic. You don't want to get 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 too big, but you know, you're going to have a limited number of people. So you want to make sure they're the right pe- they're the right people on your board. And now I, if I can just add, as, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking you need to think about, you know, um, private companies tend to sometimes forget about terms in tenure and how long should they be on there. It is possible to wear out your welcome. And, you know, sometimes we see this at public companies and because like nobody, if somebody's not doing their job around the table, uh, no matter what company, you know, private, nonprofit, pr- public, um, if somebody isn't doing their job, as I said, this is very valuable re- real estate, these seats around those board tables. And if they're not doing their job, you have to talk with them and either give them a heads up and say, you got to you got to pull your weight here or you're going to have to get off. And these are really, really tough conversations but they're important to have. And sometimes, um, like I said, in any of these kind of companies, we tend to forget about that. You cannot let people on your board if they're not doing their job. It's a little off track from your question, but I think it was important. By the way, this is good feedback. I kind of screwed up. I mean, by the way, I'm, gl- I'm glad I asked the question. I love the answer. <laughs> but now I wish I would ask the different question. How can the CEO get the most out of that board, but you kind of answered in the second half. So let, let's yeah. flip this around a little bit. Uh, what would be your TEDx? Or by the way, this, well, it'd probably be a TEDx. What would be your TEDx presentation for board members? 
what would you want to either challenge them about or what would you share with them that maybe they probably have not heard before? I guess I I think that for board members, the most important thing is they, we we just talked about it's the um, CEO's responsibility or the uh, governance committee chair or the board chair's responsibility to make sure they're getting, getting um, full participation um, and engagement from their board. Board members, you know, we talked about the board performance um, evaluation uh, assessment. It's very important that board members, if you're not doing 360s and not too many people are doing those yet um, on at the board level, but if um, for uh, it, it to be brought up for folks to ask, am I doing my job on this board? Am I coming prepared? Am I, um, you know, am I asking questions or am I just sitting here kind of taking up space? So um, it's important that um, directors do this self self evaluation and the time to do that, I mean, a lot of different potential times, but uh, too often, um, and this happens in, in all companies too, whether d- d- public, private, and no private, you come up for a renewal you say, oh yeah, Mark's doing a good job. We're just gonna, we're just gonna, you know, cut and paste. If it's a proxy statement, we're gonna just cut and paste those names. Or if it's the private company, yeah, they're on. Let's just do it again. It's easy. You have to really think during the, those nominating process, and that's why on private companies, it's particularly important that they we do have we talk about terms up front. Is it's not automatic. You got to sit down and say, are they still? Um, are they still contributing? Um, are they active? Are they doing their job? And the other side of that coin is they might still be really active and really engaged, but the company may have changed and we don't really need those skills anymore. We need different skills. So it might not be that, the, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why you need you may need to change that board composition. So it's just something that it, those are those more difficult conversations. And not everybody wants to have them. And I think that's where um, boards can get into trouble. Are you a reader? And if so, what are some of your favorite books? I am a reader, but I I find that I get so caught up in reading business stuff and what are the boards doing? And my extra time is all based on that, that if I want to do a... um, have a little downtime and just a kind of a beat. It's more of a beach read. Although I, I'm reading a great book in a, I am in a book club and we're reading a great book now called Covenant of Water. And it's not a book I would have picked up if I wasn't in the, um, in the book club. Um, but it's, uh, it's very, very long, but, <laughs> and I'm not finished with it yet, but it's, um, it's, it's very good. And that, that's fiction, right? That's fiction. Yes. But it has a lot of, True. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of uh, introspective kind of moments in it. I was going to say, if, if someone were looking for book club ideas right now, I'm like you, I do not read a lot of fiction. I have to force myself. I just finished reading The Lincoln Highway and The oh. Four Winds, The Four Winds by Christian Hanna. It is did outstanding. You like, did you like The Lincoln Highway? I loved it. I got lost <laughs> in it. I got lost in it. And, and I just... It's, 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 I can't really describe it. I thought yeah. the ending was bow tied very nicely. Yeah. And, and okay. the four winds is, uh, I did not know a lot about the dust bowl uh, during that time yeah. period. 
phenomenal. And the way p- human beings treated other human beings was, I look back and find that despicable. And I think what I had been like certain people, and I hope not, but anyway, I l- love hearing that. Th- this has been great, Denise. Again, thank you very much. You're welcome. I was happy to, happy to participate. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Denise Cooperionis, again, thank you very much. The founder of the Governance Solutions Group. Her website is gsgboards.com. I mentioned this earlier in the interview, great content at that website. When you go there, make sure you click on board questions in the navigation section at the top of the website, and then also check on board tools. There is a lot of information going back more than 10 years. That's by the way, it's still very, very fresh in the form of PDF documents. So again, our website, again, gsgboards.com. We need to call this a wrap. Thank you for listening. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf.